You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Hey, Greg, I have a pitch for you. Shoot. Basically, it's just the story of Willy Wonka, but instead of a candy factory, it's just all the shit you find in an EB Games. Hmm. I have some notes. Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes, the show where we immerse ourselves in and elevate the importance of popular media in an effort to escape our bleak reality. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are talking about the film Ready Player One, uh, which... Uh, uh, to to the uh, my glib comment at the beginning, there is a movie about people who immerse themselves in and elevate the importance of popular media and no escape to bleak our reality. Uh, so <laughs> uh, it was all tied together and was not uh, deliberately on the nose. Introduction. Uh, but yeah, we watched Ready Player One. Yeah, we were uh, asked to watch Ready Player One. Yes, yeah. Listener Deja uh, put it to us. Uh, I believe in the last ep- episode we we thought we weren't sure the way that we'd be thanking him or or hating on him, and I feel like it's probably the latter a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this was the fun. second time you guys you guys did not enjoy this film on your your first viewings. Not really. I think that in around the 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 opening sequence the opening race sequence i was having fun Mm -hmm. um and and then not so much afterwards and and i swear to god like the final act felt like it took two hours it it is a two hour and 18 minute movie i checked on netflix i'm like oh i'm about halfway and it was like a third of the way through i was like oh god yeah yeah I, I actually saw this movie. This is the second time now I've watched it because I uh, did go see it in theaters. Um, I went, uh, would have been the year it came out, so I think two or three years ago. Uh, I should probably have that uh, information in front of me. Um, oh, 2018. So, yeah, two two years ago. Uh, went on 420 uh, uh, with, my, with my brother, and we couldn't get into Super Troopers 2 because uh, <laughs> it was sold out on 420, uh, and so we went and saw this instead. Uh, so two... Ready Player One's credit. I have since seen Super Troopers two on an airplane, and I do think we saw the better movie uh, that humble April twentieth night. Um, uh, this movie uh, is better than Super Troopers two. Uh, I'll start with that compliment. Well, at least it's got that going for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I feel like at this juncture we should also apologize for this movie. Yes, because, because th- we are culpable for this. Uh, yeah, up- upon reflection, uh, this this movie is definitely uh, uh, we're the demographic uh, for it, at, at least uh, on paper. Yeah, we like this is our fault uh, collectively, <laughs> and and maybe even slightly specifically our fault because we have a podcast about popular culture, <laughs> yeah, uh, we and are. and nostalgia for it. So like this is on like we are sorry. This is on us. Yeah, ba- three not beta only that, white dudes we- in their thirties. <laughs> not only that, but we have a podcast that is about reimagining uh, pop culture all over again, which is sort of like, you know, refeeding 
the the theme of refeeding pop culture uh, to the masses is basically part of what our podcast yeah, is all pig- about. Piggybacking yep. on goodwill you've already got for <laughs> Green Lantern. Uh. <laughs> now I wonder if if uh, if uh, this. Um, movie is sort of like uniquely tuned to our generation and maybe there may be no other generation that that uh would have something like this available to them uh only because i feel like um in you know in the time that we are growing up in um the the advancements in computer graphics basically made just about any story you wanted to tell possible right and previously in film that was not a thing that was even remotely possible like for example like you you know you couldn't make a a spider-man movie in the 70s or the 80s or or barely in the 90s right um just because the the, in order to do the things that uh, that spider-man did um you know you had to have you know one hell of a stunt crew i would say (laughs) but like it's just uh, you know vfx made all of that possible um, and I think our generation, maybe more than any other, were were uh, were in a position to r- ready to imagine all the things that we grew up with redone as as live action movies. Um, uh, just because suddenly the world had opened up mm-hmm. and the possibilities had had just you know broken through the door. Everybody remembers Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? Yeah. Remember it's how my Disney Plus watch list? Yeah, I want to watch it again. Sorry. Yeah, you remember how mind-blowing it was to see, like, Looney Tunes and Disney characters all together on the same movie? Yeah. Yeah, and that was, and it was cool at the time. And this movie is, in a way, kind of trying to do the same thing. It's just with everything, and it's it's too much. It's way too much. <laughs> Except that it's really soulless about how it goes about it. Well, that too, and- yeah. You know, they like the the in a, in Uframe Roger Rabbit, you potentially have you know two different you know sets of characters from two major companies coming together and interacting, and you know, they're actually the characters. Whereas in this movie, um, they are not the characters; they are they're just people essentially digitally Cos- cosplaying. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and I think that's even that's kind of my biggest problem with it is it it, it just it's such a surface level understanding of all the medium or all the media that it references. Like as far as this movie's concerned, the Iron Giant and a Gundam are the same thing and it it has no reverence for the nuance no. between Gundam anime and the Iron Giant or the or difference the between the d- you yeah, know, the messages yeah. or the themes of those things and it doesn't draw so but whereas who framed roger rabbit like when those characters show up they can draw on things you already know about them it, it sort of helps the th- like yeah yeah no you're you're absolutely right and the the it also ties back to what greg said about the cartoons in who framed roger rabbit are the cartoons and they're mm-hmm. there to help drive the story and they're there to help drive the themes of the story and in this one all of the pop culture stuff is primarily set dressing. Like if you stripped yep. out all of the pop culture stuff, you'd still just have a treasure hunting movie. And yep. the treasure hunting movie stands on its own. All of the nostalgia stuff is set dressing. Yeah. And really doesn't, it, and doesn't really serve anything beyond that. It's, it's got all the nuance of like a hot topic of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's 
you like Batman? Here's a picture of Batman on a shirt. Like it doesn't. It's nothing new or interesting to say about Batman. It just wants to sell you a shirt because Batman is on. Like you know what I mean? Like it just. Yeah, it's like it's like that. You know the the Lego movies uh, do a much better job of like of fostering Dude. that nostalgia. You know, you think of like the the Lego Batman movie. It's like they, you know, he's he like he, in the movies he is like a version of Batman, and he's drawing off of the history of Batman, and and that's what's that's what I think it really appeals to people, and well, that's kind of what makes it funny. But like, there's there's nothing here. There's nothing really to enjoy about the references. It's just like, hey, remember. Uh, Back to the Future. Do you remember the DeLorean? Hey, do you remember Mortal Kombat? I love Mortal Kombat. And that's, Don't it's interesting you, you say say uh, Lego Batman too, because in that the 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 villain Joker in Lego Batman goes and gets Sauron and King Kong and and spoiler alert for the Lego Batman. Movie. Spoiler <laughs> alert for Lego Batman. The Joker goes and gets other like he goes and gets fucking Lego Voldemort, and it's great. It actually it makes sense. It like it. I mean, it, it, to, to the amount that Lego Lego Sauron makes sense. Um, it, yeah. What I forgot all about Lego Batman and how that's does everything that better than this movie does. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Um, why don't I uh, hit you with a quick uh, some quick details about it, and we'll uh, we'll jump into the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, just for in I, case I, people I aren't... definitely want to hear more about this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll just I, for I'm folks a who maybe for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> maybe just aren't entirely sure. It is a fairly recent film. It's uh, came out uh, almost uh, two years ago, March eleventh, twenty eighteen, uh, and uh, directed by Steven Spielberg of all people. Uh, screenplay by a cat named Zach Penn and uh, Ernest Klein, who wrote the book. It's based on the book Ready Player One by Ernest Klein, uh, and it stars uh, Ty uh, Sheridan, Olivia Cook, Ben Mendelsohn, T.J. Miller, Simon Pegg. So, but uh, yeah, let's not really let's... star Simon Pegg. I mean, he is in it. <laughs> I'm reading a list of names presented to me <laughs> by one of the three sources for movie information. Uh, <laughs> He might be, weirdly, he might be the biggest star in the movie, too. Yeah, that is kind of to its credit that it doesn't have any big celebrities. Um, Although, I guess he was doing a voice for the the curator, so he's in it more than I'm, than I'm suggesting. But, he, but he's also the biggest name in the movie, and that's mm. interesting to me. That's weird. Well, I guess the biggest name in the movie is Steven Spielberg, who uh, <laughs> did actually have to pull... He, he, it was sort of this weird thing of, like, he, he made sure he didn't reference too many of his own movies to like avoid vanity and shit because like Steven Spielberg is definitely a rich part of 80s and 90s popular culture like um and so he for the most part there are no Spielberg references in this movie just that Tyrannosaurus Rex just the T-Rex yeah yeah which is weird because this would have been a great movie to have Indiana Jones references in sure yeah treasure hunting and all that yeah yeah and and also kind of like a big miss and also kind of like the religious quest aspect of it, because Indiana Jones, in the in the first and third movies, certainly, is looking for holy relics. And there's a religious aspect to it of, of a scientist kind of delving into religion. And in this movie, the main character is an atheist, and he's but he's on a holy quest. Like, pop culture is his religion, and Halliday is his is his god. <laughs> and and he's on a quest to meet his god. And that's and he even he even dresses up in the guise of and and the name of uh, a knight 
who searched for the Holy Grail. So uh, the fact that they don't reference Indiana Jones in this movie seems like a big miss. <laughs> Feels like a big miss, but we, we're already into general thoughts on the film and we have barely even queued it up. My name is Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego, like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid, my mom too. And I ended up here. Sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. The Oasis was the brainchild of James Halliday. Hello, if you're watching this, I'm dead. I created a hidden object, an Easter egg. The first person to find the egg will inherit half a trillion dollars and total control of the Oasis itself. Who is this Parzival? And how the hell is he winning? Find him. This isn't just a game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff. The Oasis, the world's most important economic resource. It's nothing less than a war for control of the future. Welcome to the rebellion, Wade. What a time to be alive in 2045. Everyone spends their entire day inside an immersive virtual universe called The Oasis, where they can be anyone and do anything. Mostly, though, they dress up like characters from the 1980s. You know, like how everyone today cosplays as characters from Gunsmoke and Howdy Doody and Ben-Hur. Yeah. James Halliday, the eccentric creator of the Oasis, has died, but he designed one final challenge for Oasis players, promising the winner will become the heir to his company. Charlie Bucket, or rather Wade Watts, is down and out loner with no life outside the game. He's become fixated on winning control of the chocolate factory, uh, uh, the Oasis. Why? That's unclear. He wants to be a lead hacksaw, I guess? The only trouble is a sinister rival company. IOI has dedicated all of its resources to winning control of the game. Why? So they can put ads in it. No, seriously, they're willing to kill for ad space. It's that weird. Anyway, will Wade find the golden ticket, er, uh, the golden key, rather, in before IOI? Only a 140-minute assault on our eyes will help us find out. Yeah, you know, there's... There's a lot of movies that feel like an assault on, on my eyes, and this one may be a little bit more so than others, um, yeah. just because of the sheer amount of uh, of pop culture references, and and also um, because the character design did not look great, and I'm going to criticize it, but also give it a pass at the same time because I feel like I feel like it was purposeful not to make like Wade's avatar and um sorry the girl character's avatar whose name Artemis. I don't remember Artemis like they 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 don't look photorealistic and I believe that's by design because they they want it to look like a video game um 
but it's also still like kind of hella distracting at the same time. Yeah, they don't look great. They look really bland and that is a little jarring compared to a lot of the other stuff we see in the Oasis. And it was a really weird design choice to make them look so bland. Uh, I think sort of like the weird um, anime slash Pixar elements to their face kind of just threw me off a little bit. Oh, see, um, that, that's interesting that you you guys say that, in, especially as like a first note, that of all my problems with this movie, the way they looked in the Oasis and the way like the Oasis was presented was like no issue here. Like it looked f- fine. Fair in, like the vi- visually, I, I'm, I was more than happy to watch this both on Netflix today uh, and uh, high out of my gore two years ago. Uh, like it both it tracked both times for me. Fair uh, enough. Yeah. My yeah. my big beef with the visuals is that there's so much pop culture packed into every frame of every moment that they're in the oasis that it's you can't follow anything because your your eye is just being directed to look at everything on screen at once. I was kind of surprised that there weren't uh, a ton of um, pop culture references that that. Um, were direct a lot like a lot of it was really in the background it was literally set, it literally set dressing like the TARDIS yeah. is just in the background to be in the background like it's yeah there's um there's a, a moment where Artemis um hides inside um of Goro, Goro right from Mortal Kombat and I think I would have appreciated more stuff like that where where the pop culture reference is used as a as some kind of plot device in some way, like the weirdest one was the the Zemeckis cube, and we had a conversation, Scott, about this on uh, on Facebook about yeah. like why the the Zemeckis cube is a Rubik's cube, um, but it reverses time because and, Zemeckis, and, of course, directed Back to the Future. Yes, and when he does his, when he uses it, you get a little lilt of the Back to the Future theme. So it's clearly that's what they're referencing. Yeah. But to my knowledge, there's no Rubik's Cube in Back to the Future. Yeah, no. It could have yeah. been, it should have been like a box that looked like a flux capacitor or something. For for a, for a movie that is only operates in references to other movies, the MacGuffins in this movie were super disappointing. From the Zumeckis cube to the like, the level 99 magic artifact with the magic word to like... It, the holy hand grenade? I mean, the holy hand grenade, I guess, is the, one of the few ones that is like a legit like, but like they all should have been holy hand grenades. You know what I mean? Like they all should have been straight up like, get me infinity gems, get me... Fucking, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I, I can't pull, you know, give me a, give me a Pikachu, whatever. Like, I just like, <laughs> you know, using item MacGuffins from other movies yeah. to be the MacGuffin here instead of making up your own MacGuffins. It's like, that's what, what else are you doing here? They, they, like, s- they sure seem to have access to a, a pretty enormous library of characters. And, and it should have been pretty easy to to write a pop culture reference, a proper one for every single device that you were using, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right, Liam. Like in the in instead, they they tend to they they tend to the ones that were were most prominent kind of ended up being made up. Mm-hmm. There was also a lot of things that were jarringly missing. Um, if that makes sense, like for as much Batman was there, there was no Harry Potter. 
There was no Star Wars, like no references to other huge pop culture things that stood out in their absence. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, you can chalk that up to licensing. Uh, even when Ernest Klein was writing this, people had, were like eyeing him up for the like, oh, you're right. Like, but he's still writing the the, the book and, and people are like, hey, we want to make a movie out of that. And he's like, good fucking luck getting the rights to all the shit I'm about mm-hmm. to cram in this book. Uh, and that was like an issue. Part of the reason this movie we would have had this movie sooner if that wasn't an issue. Yeah. I like, is, and, yeah. is that why they go to the like Overlook still, Hotel yeah. for some reason? I ha- I don't even... That's in my cuts. I'm. Don't even get me started on <laughs> the, the Shining part of it. It's my... I feel like... Yeah, I feel like Steven Spielberg just wanted to shoot some stuff in, in a Stanley Kubrick movie. Yeah, it was... Um, it was really jarring. I felt to have those characters inside the Overlook Hotel. It like, goes back... Yeah, sorry. It, like they, I don't know. They just like they, it. Just looks so weird to have these these. Um, I don't know. It, uh, these it's anime probably characters. Not, yeah, it's probably not like it, not like something to really worry too much about. Uh, but I don't know. Just for some reason, it just didn't work for me. And uh, and then of course you know like the the whole like making a big deal out of like the zombie lady when like that particular ver- version of that woman only appears on screen for like two seconds in the in the actual shining and stuff like that you don't e- you don't even get you don't even get um like a reference to um uh, what's his name uh who's the star, the star of the shining jack nicholson. jack nicholson like he's not you don't even see him running around with the axe or anything like that even from behind or something like that it's all the zombie lady it's very weird there's uh yeah, it's it's it go- all surface. It's it's a surface level understanding of The Shining, just like everything else is a surface level understanding. Yeah, yeah, it, that that yeah the 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 Shining is a horror movie the same way uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is a horror movie and Saw yeah. is a horror movie. Yeah. All three of them are horror movies. Don't look into it any farther. They're not three wildly different. You know. Yeah, yeah, and we say- touched we oh. touched on on like uh, probably the most egregious one earlier, which is The Iron Giant, where the the iron giant uh, abhors violence and he the one thing he was worried about most was be, was being a weapon and <laughs> in this movie that's all he fucking is is a they weapon just use him as a weapon yeah yeah, yeah there, it's just yeah. like it's unbelievable the word you used in our group chat uh was unconscionable what they had yeah. done to the iron giant was unconscionable <laughs> the way you feel about the iron giant is how i feel about the shining scene um it just it 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 I I love The Shining and I I could not I when I saw it the first time and then watching it again I'm like what is why is this the movie you could have done uh, especially because in the book it was the Temple of Syrinx it was the Rush song was the second challenge uh, which would have been so cool and I'm sure there's a reason they didn't do that but like it's, it's weird I love Rush and I love The Shining and I would have much rather have seen them do Rush's Temple of Syrinx than ruin The Shining. Because it's Steven Spielberg directing and he wants to do a big movie reference. Yeah. Also, I don't know if as many people would pick up on the Rush thing. Because I'm, I'm not a Rush fan, so I wouldn't have understood what they were going for. Oh, and, and this movie is real dumbed down for you. Like, it assumes mm-hmm. that you don't understand anything that's going on and it will hold your hand and walk you through every second of it. Uh, there are points <laughs> in this movie which 
where something obvious was set up and was happening, and then the characters would take a moment to explain to each other what was obviously set up and happening. And it was just like, oh my God, please stop talking to each other about stuff that number one, you should all know, and number two, is very obvious from context cues. <laughs> like it, there was there was a moment, I think it was like shortly after um they tricked um the IOI boss into thinking he was out of the oasis when he was still in it. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a there was like a scene that was sort of like all all um tell not show right after that where they were just explaining like hey this is what we did and i i remember like just zoning out and just be like yeah whatever <laughs> like okay you're gonna explain you're gonna just talk about whatever it is that the fuck that's happening in this movie and i have lost the ability to care yeah it yeah. sounds about right <laughs> so shall we get to the biggest challenge well, I guess this we're, first half any, of the no, show where we well, I do. Where we I should say we we, we spent the gonna say keep. Yeah, uh, I was. Um, we should figure out what we what we like, what we want to keep because we we've spent the last twenty minutes just dunking on this ridiculous <laughs> film, uh, and we watch a lot of questionable movies, and I think this is one of the first one where we've all come out licking our chops <laughs> mean things to say so I'll start. I quite liked T.J. Miller's performance and character. I rock. I rock. The uh the, <clears throat> the hitman, the mercenary. Yeah. The, the I the costume cool. To... Was he a Klingon? Yes. I don't I don't know what he's supposed to be. He was just a general skeleton guy, which I know earlier I was like have a thing for everything, but I liked that he wasn't from something. I liked that he was his own thing. Yeah, the fact that his body had like big holes in it and stuff like that and and there there were a couple of gags where they used it, which was okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I, I felt like I understood mechanically what the jokes were that he was telling, but I felt like in execution, they were not working. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff that came out of his mouth, which read like, oh, we haven't thrown in a pop culture reference in two lines. We better have TJ Miller say something. And it was like, my eyes were rolling a lot when he spoke. There were a couple funny quips here and there, I'll grant, but for the most part, it was just like, why is he talking about Tootsie Rolls? Why is he Why is he yeah. specifically saying, you remember that commercial? Hey, audience, do you remember that commercial with the owl? He's not talking to the guy. He's talking to us. Do you know what I think it is? I think that um, the, the um, animated performance was not good enough to mm. pull off what they were trying to pull off with it. Um, I just, I just felt like his, it needed more, um, more nuance to sort of get off, get, cause he was, you know, he was supposed to be, you know, an intimidating character, but also kind of like delightfully whimsical and somewhat aloof. Mm-hmm. And, and it just like the, the, like the way that he looked and because he looked so, um, menacing um, it it required a, a level of performance that just wasn't there to really like um, sell that sort of aloof character who's who's also really gruff. So it just didn't it just didn't work for me. Mm. Right, uh, Miller, I got cut. not not to like <laughs> dunk on the one thing you wanted to yeah. keep, but like no, I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that like. I, like like I like again like I understood what they were going for and and I think yeah. that that could have worked really really well 
had it been executed better. Yeah. Um, and 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 it's not like I didn't enjoy certain aspects of that character. I thought I thought at times it was working, um, and at times it really just wasn't. Um, yeah. Which is sort of like this movie overall. I, I'll ta- I'll say something that I like since I just dunked on your shit. <laughs> they said I like the I like the race sequence at the beginning. I thought that was actually really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a little too busy. Um, I like it was one of those scenes where there was just so much happening and so much going on in the background all at once mm. that the it. It wasn't quite Bayhem, but it was very chaotic, and it was difficult to follow some of the action sometimes. And that said, it was rather spectacular, I, I will say. Yeah, I think... And goofy, and goofy, in a, in a good way. Yeah, I think it was... Um, I think the, the action was well... I mean, if there was one thing Senior Spiller, Spielbergo can do, it's a, it's, it's a chase scene. He's good at those, and like, mm-hmm. the... The, I think it, it was it was exciting and and it set up a lot of things for um, the victory of the race that would come later when when Wade actually wins the race. Uh, so I, I, that was that was a lot of fun too, where you got to see the whole race from a different perspective later on when he when he goes underneath the race. Yeah, that was kind of cool. I'll grant that. Um, I. I do kind of like the big battle at the end. Like it's the, it's, it's another scene that's really busy, but at the same time, it's kind of, it's, it's a good climax because it's taking a bunch of the stuff that we've already seen and it's just throwing it at each other in, in a stupid, like MMORPG giant battle sort of way that actually is kind of goofy and fun, like the right kind of goofy and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get to see like Chun Li kicking a dude, and you get to see like, uh, you, you get to see like a, a group of Spartans run in and start shooting guys, and you see a bunch of little like cartoon animals bouncing around and like knocking people down. Like it's it's dumb and it's great. Um, so I will grant that that is one thing that I quite like is the stupid giant end battle <laughs> is yeah is just the, the right it- kind of of insane. The only thing I would tweak slightly about that is the um, they established that that shield is in- impenetrable, and the opening the opening sequence of that battle is everyone firing on that shield, in, uh, all together, and you you already know from what they've told you that that is going to do nothing. Like you're yeah. not going to be able to get through it, right? So that like that part of it felt a little futile. You know, they're, they're playing it up as like, this is the arrival of everybody and they're all, and now IOI is in trouble. Right. But then they're all shooting at a, at an impenetrable shield that isn't coming down. So I, I, you know, I, I wish that that um, was maybe tweaked a little bit more so that the arrival of all these uh, players uh, made an enormous difference. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that it should have been established that the shield is nigh invulnerable. And when (laughs) like, when like five million people show up and start shooting at it, IOI starts to sweat. It still holds so that you can still have Artemis have her hero moment and bring down the shield. But like, give them a moment where they're like, oh, oh, this is bad. Like, this is really, really bad. They might actually start breaking through the shield. Yep. That's at risk of getting into into, uh, changes. Yeah, into changes. uh, Any other uh, sort of keeps that uh, you want to suggest? 
Um, I like, so uh, none of us have read the book, full disclosure. Um, Anita has, and I forced her to watch the movie with me so that I could get some of that sweet, sweet book. Um, <laughs> some of that sweet, sweet book uh, <laughs> some of that sweet, information. Sweet book. <laughs> uh, book information from her and the, the stuff that was changed. And I also familiarized myself a little bit with it. And yeah, um, I'm pretty familiar with the book too, even though I haven't read it yet. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I do, th- I do like, and that I would keep is giving Artemis more to do because in the book, apparently it's really just all Wade and the other characters are there. Um, and Artemis is just a prize for him to win at the end. And in the movie, they actually give her like infiltrating IOI and bringing down uh, and getting company information and all that. That is that is something Wade does in the book. Uh, and having Artemis do that gives her more to do and gives her more agency in a way that I think is good for her character and nice. is a hundred percent something I would keep because she needs to have equal footing to Wade in the movie. Uh, and I think that that's something that I would definitely keep is giving her more to do and giving her more agency in the plot. Cause Sweet I would argue that she's, yeah. I would argue that she's the other, mo- the second most important character. Can I just say something about um, the, the book for a second? Like I, uh, I haven't read it. And you know, I'm I'm a really visual person. Like I I'm a graphic designer. Um, you know I'm super visual, and that's why I have a podcast, right? That makes sense. <laughs> but you know, like I I don't I don't do like I don't read a lot of novels. Um, the the novels that I do read, like they're they're often like uh, the real page turners kind of thing. But like watching this movie. And imagining it as a novel, I can, I don't think I can imagine something I would want to read less. Like, the, <laughs> like the idea that I would be reading about pop culture references without visually seeing all these things come to life just sounds awful to me. Yeah, someone like yeah. boring. <laughs> Chun Li kicking a Spartan kind of loses something when it's typed out in a yeah, paperback yeah. novel. Yeah. Well, yeah, to be fair, a lot of the references in the book are more more literary, more video game based, but not like visually like older video games like Zork features. Mm. Uh, and also probably like we were saying, you can probably get away with more Star Wars and Indiana Jones and things that would like much you have much more visually top of mind. Um, like if someone describes something, it glowed like a lightsaber. You can probably do that a lot faster than like uh, uh, the more esoteric stuff that shows up in this movie. Yeah, yeah, they they changed a lot of. You the wouldn't references. have to explain who Tracer from Overwatch is, for example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In in the movie, they can just cram a bunch of stuff people will recognize visually, and that's definitely something that they did. Yeah, but that's my two cents. I just I just would not. I, I will not read this this book. Period. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I've heard you can, very mixed reviews. So uh, I, I, also, I think our, our listeners have also shit on the book uh, several times as well when we get to the second half. So it's it apparently the source material is not super awesome either. Yeah, my my understanding of the book was it was it had fans, then it had deniers, then it now just has apologists. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like the trajectory of Star Wars. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. Uh, do we have any like? major and notable cuts that we want to drop in before we take our break or I, just, I think that's going to be all part of the part of the <laughs> the rich tapestry yeah, yeah. <laughs> of changing it well let's uh, hear from our fabulous sponsors and we'll be right back after this
With PodPower, ATP is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, we're giving a PodPower shout-out to the Alberta Queer Calendar Project. It features monthly podcast dramas by queer Albertan writers throughout 2020. Episodes are released monthly in 2020 and are free to access anywhere you get your podcasts. Listen and learn more about the Alberta Queer Calendar presented by Cardiac Theatre in partnership with What It Is Productions at QueerCalendar.ca. And we're back, and we're about to dip into our changes for Redder Player One. Um, mm-hmm. A couple notes, really quickly. Uh, this is our our second go around of, of the uh, of the changes section. Uh, recording remotely is uh, is uh, turning out to be a challenge at times, and there are there are now there are three <laughs> instead of just having one recording uh, that could have problems with it, we have three separate recordings that can have problems. So it triples the amount of errors that we can potentially have. So so uh, that's a good way to think about it. A yeah. generous way that I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, it just. Just to clarify, uh, whereas with Beneath the Planet of the Apes, it was Greg who had the error with recording. This time, it's Liam who had <laughs> the error with recording, which means, inevitably, next week, I am going to have an error with recording. Like, that's just, that's the trajectory we're on here, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, by then, we'll have it all sorted out. Maybe. That would Possibly, basically, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good, yeah. The, the, my second note is that uh, we had some uh, we had some doubters about our ability to um, fix Ready Player One. Um, my wife Erin uh, uh, had watched the movie with me and could uh, could not see a through line uh, for us to to correct the problems uh, with Steven Spielberg's big old uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, what his collage, his- yeah, his, yeah. That's a great way of putting it. A great, a, a, a pop culture collage. <laughs> really, just putting everything on the board. Yep, everything, least- everything on the board that they could afford, at least. Yeah, <laughs> right? mm-hmm. everything in every frame of every shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, to, to Aaron's challenge, I uh, immediately concede. Um, I, I my fix. Uh, I have fixes. Uh, but I don't think they fixed the whole movie. I think they just fixed the things I feel qualified to speak on. Um, I don't have solution. I don't have an all encumbering solution or uh, encompassing solution. Yeah, I think what we had decided uh, when we finished recording the first time was that while we all had some decent fixes that could improve the movie, and we will get into them in a moment, um, there are some fundamental problems with the story that we just can't get over as a hurdle that would require uh, not just a page one rewrite of the script for the movie, but a page one rewrite of the novel it is based on. And it, it's more premise based, I think, than story based. Yeah. I think the story technically tracks. Yeah. It's yeah. more in concept that we've got troubles with the, with the film itself. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, we're going to have to plow ahead just assuming the concept is what it is and, and away yeah, we go. Work, work with what we got. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we're well, stalling. We just don't want to get back into it again. Well, it I'll happily so just share my time. one. Yeah, it was it was uh, pretty tough, but I think we now have a little bit of a clear head to at least try to, you know, uh, maybe can't save the limb, but we can amputate. You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> um, so, well, I will start with my suggestion uh, of the one scene I think I had the biggest problem with, uh, and I think it was very telling of the whole script overall and the whole approach that the filmmakers took. Uh, I don't think the second challenge should have been specifically about The Shining. Uh, 
Uh, I think it, The Shining is such a great, rich movie full of so much, and it's such a they present it in such a surface level way as like just another scary movie that I think it completely like undermines not only The Shining in a weird way that I just don't like that I, they touched it in sort of the same way you didn't like uh, what they did to the Iron Giant. Um, but also it just like it just it's very telling of how little they care about the things they're referencing. Uh, so my fix is that second uh, challenge is either straight up the Temple of Syrinx like it is in the book uh, based on the Rush song, which would be sweet. Um, but if they're not going to involve Rush for whatever reason, and I don't know why they didn't because, you know, Neil Peart's a god. Also, rest in peace, Neil Peart. Um, they should have made the second thing more of like a all horror movie dungeon kind of a thing. Uh, have them, you know, open the elevator doors in The Shining, but then they turn around and Leatherface is there. Um, d- just, just if it's going to be a horror movie thing, use all of them because The Shining is not just another horror movie. I think it would have been actually kind of interesting for them to be in the Overlook Hotel, but the Overlook Hotel to be run like overrun by other movie monsters that are yeah that's around. great yeah. i mean the, the the hotel is the the most threatening thing in the shining so yeah put all the humanoid you know horror movie things in the hotel great what a great yeah. setting but just yeah. don't make the yeah but don't don't just do the shining but badly yeah it's it's yeah. such a it's such a disgrace to the to the shining like i really am trying not to use the term like oh they ruined it or anything she can't remember but it just it shows that they didn't understand the there's a, there's a certain level of risk, as yeah. as Mike Nelson says from Mystery Science Theater. Don't reference a good movie in the middle of your bad movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's you know, more or less my my big one. Yeah, my particular problem uh, that I uh, that I'd like to correct is is just the the um, the the stakes them themselves. I think. Um, because I I felt like one of the biggest problems is that I didn't I didn't really feel the plight of of this world like the people in this world I didn't feel the plight of the people in the stacks or or anyone in in Ohio in 2045 um, it uh, you know outside of Wade's parents who are both pieces of garbage and and don't garner much sympathy um oh, not his parents his guardians rather his guardians sorry yeah his parents had died um i i i don't think we get a great uh sense for um the people that live there and and how and how much the oasis plays into their lives and and what it would mean for those people for the oasis to either go away or change entirely or, or how, or how much control it has over our, their lives, which I think is actually the more interesting angle to take. Yeah. About. Like, like, you know, this, this, this thing be, started out as a, as a game and, and then it became something that really just ruled people's lives. And, and, um, you know, the, the, uh, idea that a soulless corporation, uh, was about to uh, take over um, the oasis is is the major threat, but you you need to be able to, you need to be able to show um, you know how the you know, how the people are suffering because of that. They they show you a little bit of you know the 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 slavery bits uh, of it, but again, you're only really seeing that through one character's eyes, and, and it just seems like it seems like it's, especially towards the climax when you've got. You know, you're trying to involve the people of the stacks 
um, coming together uh, against um, what was the bad guy's name? I already forgot. Sorrento. The, Sorrento. Like he, yeah. Like he, I think you really like for that to land better. Um, you know, you've got to. I think you've got to really show. Uh, you know, the oppression that the these people are feeling because of this Oasis game. Can we talk I, about that ending a little bit yeah. as well? Because I don't think we touched on it in the first half, and it needs to be discussed because it's very silly. Because yeah, like Wade puts out this plea to the people in the stacks to come and help him. And then there's this moment where like the people of the stacks stand up to the bad guy, but then it's immediately undercut by him just pulling out a gun and they all just stand aside. And so there's no hero moment for them. There's no, the people rising up against the corrupt, uh, the corrupt corporate guy because he, he wins. He beats them instantly by pulling out a gun and then the only thing that stops him is that he opens the door, sees Wade shed a tear with his glowy hands, and his heart grows three sizes. He grinches all over yeah. the place. <laughs> and it's it makes no sense. It's unearned. And what should have happened is that he should have arrived at the stacks and have been walking into the lion's den because he's this rich, untouchable corporate honcho. He walks into Poverty City uh, for all the people that he's been exploiting and that he wants to exploit even more by controlling the Oasis, and then they should have kicked the crap out of him. Like, he should have been knocked down and beaten severely, and that should have been the end of the movie for Sorrento. Yeah, agreed. Or even just the fact that, like, the the fact that it's a whole group of Americans and not they're all afraid of one gun. Like, it's apparently <laughs> in 2045 they get gun control laws figured out. Serious gun like, control, yeah. Yeah, because like, I'm like, one pistol and this crowd of 150 people are just done interacting with this guy. Sorry. Yeah. Guy, I just, yeah. Uh, yeah, like another thing that I felt I found inexplicable about the, the ending was I had kind of assumed that this was some sort of dystopian world that was kind of like run by a corporation. But then the police show up. Yeah, then the police show up, and I was like, "There's a police force." Yeah, like, what where the fuck were they were when they doing the entire time? Yeah, where were they when IOI was enslaving people and blowing things up? Yeah, like that. Wow. That assumes <laughs> that there's like there, you know, there's a proper government in place and all these other kinds of things. Like, it it it, it actually served to sort of like undercut the stakes for me even more because like it, they, you know, there was I don't know there was you know there's there's regular authorities coming around when I when I thought that you know the the oasis. Uh, meant everything to everyone, kind of thing, and and that and be, uh, and that was because the uh, the oasis was controlled by one single big corporate head or whatever. Um, uh, I don't want to alarm you, Greg, but there are some people who believe that uh, cops are just there to protect corporate interests. Yeah, uh, well, corporations <laughs> are people. We all know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so we we can all agree that the ending is pretty dumb. Yes. Yeah. Also, there's something really kind of off about uh, Wade and uh, Artemis, um, or Parsifal and Artemis. Uh, When they uh, assume control of the corporation, one of their big changes is that they shut off the Oasis two days a week. And that is very bizarre because Wade, at the beginning of the movie, makes mention about how the fact that his life is really terrible and the Oasis is his one escape from that. And now that he's rich and it doesn't matter to him, he's just taking that away from other people two days a week. Yeah. It's the technology uh, is all over the place in this. Like that's a weird inconsistency. Um, Also the fact that you can buy, uh, you know, 
force producing uh, body suits for the AR or VR. We don't know if it's AR or VR. You, you it's know. a little bit of both at times. Yeah, yeah, people. Uh, but also the fact that you can buy uh, a machine that kicks you in the dick seems uh, <laughs> like <laughs> a weird. Like that had to go through design. That had to be sold. That had to like. <laughs> that was advertised. Yep. Yeah, I I think that um, this could have been resolved if um, the through line for uh, the movie was that. Um, uh, the creator, uh, sorry, what's his name? I don't remember any. Halliday. <laughs> this was like three days ago, and I don't remember anybody's name. Halliday's. Uh, if he, if if he, if he had seen his creation get away from him, and and he himself had decided that the oasis has to go in some ways, like it's 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 a drain on people's lives. It's 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 you know it, like he. He kind of created a uh, his his own monster, and and the the whole uh, trials thing, the the contest for winning control, like it could be designed in such a way to ensure that the right person gains control of Oasis, you know, a that, person who might shut it down two days a week. Uh, yeah. And it is noteworthy that at the end, one of the things that Halliday reveals to Wade is the giant off button for the Oasis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess there is the bit of the vetting where there's that sort of final test at the end. That's sort of the like the Willy Wonka moment of like, you passed. I just had mm-hmm. to be sure. So there is there is sort of that. But yeah. It, yeah. I just think it could be it could be a little bit more explicit. And that and that could create, a, a, you know, a nice theme throughout the movie that like because you don't really get a sense of like that the the Oasis itself is is harmful to people. Uh, for the most part, um, it, people seem relatively happy with it. And, and when, and at the end of the movie, when he says, we decided to shut the Oasis down two days a week, it's like, it's like, well, you never really talked about that being a problem dr- throughout the movie. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, in, in some ways it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of themes, uh, that kind of dovetails nicely into my fix for the movie. Uh, which is to have a stronger through line for the high five, because I feel like one of the few messages the movie is trying to get across is that you need your friends because Halliday's biggest regret was losing the, the woman he was interested in and losing his best friend over the course of his life and kind of dying alone. And so I feel like the story of the high five coming together as a group and and becoming like a team and friends and a clan as they call it in the in the movie needs to be ramped up. It's not there's not enough of it and it's structurally weird because like act 2 starts and suddenly two two characters who get mentioned in act 1 are part of the group now and I feel yeah. like it could just it could have been handled better. So so structurally I have a fix for it, which is the movie starts with H and uh, Parsival and the ninja and the samurai, who's uh, Sho and Daito, I want to say. Um, we're introduced to all four of them, and, and we get a better introduction to Sho and Daito in particular, because they're just kind of there in this version. Um, and we establish that they're all lone wolves who are obsessed with this Easter egg hunt, and they are all gunters, a terrible word. Oh, um, yeah, that was... Ugh. <laughs> and and they're, they're all trying to get the egg, and they think Artemis is as well, but we discover that Artemis, of course, 
is actually motivated by her desire to bring down IOI and thwart their plans. That's been her agenda from from Hop. But the thing that brings the five of them together is IOI, because in Act 1, they finally crack that first key. They all obtain the key because they're good at what they do. And once someone cracked it, everyone else figures it out. But then IOI strikes at all of them because they want to be the ones to win the Easter egg hunt and win control of the Oasis. And it's that uh, attack on them that wakes them up to the fact that they're in danger. Something Artemis maybe was trying to impart to them in Act 1. And that's what starts to drive these four lone wolves together and to realize we need to work together because A, for our safety, and B, uh, because... If Iowa is willing to kill over this, like that, that means all the more that one of us needs to win this. And we can only yeah. do that by pooling our resources. And you could actually have maybe some of the other challenges not just be all on Parsifal figuring them out. Maybe, maybe have H and Daito and Show skills come into play as well so that we get a better sense of they're better as a team. And then I mean, by the end of Act we- Two, when Artemis saves Wade and she, uh, gets her headquarters and her little rebel group attacked, that's when she gets thrown in with them as well. And now they are officially like the high five. They are now the team. And that way, by the end of the movie, it's earned that they've come together. They've succeeded together, even if Parsifal has been the face man of the group. And it makes sense that Parsifal at that point is like, no, this is my team. This mm-hmm. is my crew. We're splitting the Oasis. We're stronger together. And I feel like that's, that's the through line the movie wants, but it's not quite there and I think that by by shoring it up, you could have had a better story that you were telling there. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would, yeah, like, even if we combine it with my suggestion of, like, the second challenge is, like, a, uh, a horror movie dungeon, then all three of them could have their moment to, like... Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because um, there's you know, so many different... There would, in your version, there would be so many different... Um, characters with which to challenge the team each of them yeah and then yeah. and then on the third one give it to artemis because that, that's the thing is like artemis will artemis got her moment in the uh, overlook hotel and yeah. so because she is kind of the second main character so you do need to make sure she gets a she wins a key challenge yeah um and i guess i would put her at the third one um, but i'm okay with her not winning a key challenge because it, uh in in the movie version we can still keep the the plot beat where she ends up infiltrating the IOI headquarters, whether or not it's because right. she gives herself up or she's captured. Yeah, that's like that's, that's still right. That's still her that's big win. win. Exactly. Yeah, so that the, makes sense. Yeah. So that that still works even then, if the other hunters great, are then, yeah, give it. give that second challenge to the to the squad. That's cool. Squad goals. Hashtag squad yeah. goals. <laughs> and I think that this this uh lines up well with Greg's suggestion as well, because by having IOI strike at them earlier in the movie individually that also elevates the stakes. Like they realize, oh, our lives are in danger over this. Yes. And that's five different little vignettes you get to paint of what life looks like in 2045. Also true, exactly. Yeah, right. I think I think definitely if you get um, if you get IOI involved earlier on, um, uh, going after the the group and and making life miserable for them, yeah, it uh, certainly. Um, it certainly gives it gives you a quick uh, earlier idea of what life is like for everyone. Yeah, in the movie as is, you don't really get a good sense of of how some people live um, until you you get into the rebellion, uh, and even then, yeah, until you go you go from you go from you know kind of crappy trailer park life to to endangered servitude yeah. real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
and even like the the um the rebel base thing doesn't really last very long it's you don't uh you don't get to see like how the, how all that works and and how they're fighting back like yeah okay so they're the resistance but like i don't i don't i never really understood like okay what are you doing exactly that's that's uh of resisting yeah. yeah, I'd almost say keep it more in one world or the other. Is like the like having a real world resistance against these guys seem kind of like I don't know. You beat them in the game. I don't know. Well, what they, take place? they well they they had a base, but they like they also had like they kind of had their own makeshift IOI thing where they were like they were putting people into like their their um, uh, yeah, oasis pods or whatever. So they were yeah. they were kind of the ying to IOI's yang, right? But they're just yeah. doing it on, on an ad hoc basis. <laughs> it is very funny to think that, like, when you die in the game, you have to log into a physically different machine. Because, like, in IOI, when they'd get all blast, like, it was cool when they'd, like, get blasted by a railgun and a line of them would go. But the fact that they would drop what they were doing and run to a different terminal, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I got to like, set up another email address. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a little unclear what's up with that. I'll, I'll yeah. grant that. Like, it was sort of funny to watch them do the little, like, impotent uh, stormtrooper hustle between, you know, workstations, but it was just like, why did they have to switch? Like, that's... Yeah. Um, then again, maybe that's just my quarantine brain talking, being like, that's, someone would have been touching those joysticks for, like, an hour. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, I I like our second pass on this. I think we uh, tightened it up uh, in ways we didn't on our first recording. Yeah, yeah we I actually think a little bit more of a through line than we had the first time. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yeah. Dare I say we fixed it and Aaron yeah. loses that. Call it a day and 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 talk to the audience. Oh, I was going to say and and claim uh, our our victory over Aaron's bet. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, but, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. I think last time you you conceded, did you not? I, I conceded at the beginning of this time too, uh, <laughs> and then we found this nice way to tie them all together in a way we didn't really discuss. Uh, I think yeah. we spent more time talking about getting hit in the dick on the first recording. <laughs> we a hundred percent did. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it well, just we go. goes to show, like, if we if we spend uh, four hours recording, <laughs> we we come up with better solutions than two. Maybe we, we yeah. just need to. Well, it's a second draft. Yeah, we it's, just it's need to do a second draft of the uh, of the podcast every time because it was the same right. last week with Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Our second pass on the second half was much better than the first one. We found other things. Do we yeah. want to start a spinoff podcast where we give notes to other podcasts that do similar armchair movie criticism? Or, or you know, or just, start, or just no. giving our, ourselves our own notes? Like. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I have some notes on I have some notes. We should do some, yeah, the, the director's uh, commentary on old episodes. <laughs> That's, I'm actually going to steal that as a sketch, uh, to be honest, for my other, for my other project is director's commentary over a podcast. Um, or like video over and it doesn't. Okay, no, let's, let's hear from the listeners. Uh, we have we, royalties on all those sketches. We actually got, we actually got a ton of listener comments for Ready Player One. It turns out people have feelings and thoughts about this movie. So uh, I'll well, start though. Yeah, you kick it off with uh, uh, Lori Plant, who's a uh, uh, simple and straightforward comment to the point. Uh, light it on fire and walk away. Now, is Lori referring to the book or the movie? I would assume the movie. I don't. We. I don't think we condone book burning. So perhaps it's both. Uh, know, maybe. I, I don't condone literally lighting the book on fire and walking away, uh, <laughs> as that Fair. would constitute book burning. And uh, yeah, um, but not a good book. Just don't. Just don't read it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 
Greg, I think it's appropriate that you read the next comment. Oh, yeah. My my wife said, uh, 20 years to life for what they did to the Iron Giant just to start. Yeah. Yeah, you. Uh, I don't recall if we mentioned this in the first half uh, because we recorded it several days ago, but uh, you described what they did to the Iron Giant as unconscionable. Yes, and we did mention that in the first half, but yeah, okay, it's, fair it's, enough. Uh, yeah. It, it is, uh, <laughs> it is very it's frustrating grievous. what happened to that movie. It's, it's, just, yeah, it's the that... same problem I had with The Shining bit, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cinematological writes: Remember when a new Spielberg movie was exciting? This movie brings nothing but nostalgia. And I'm curious if he means nostalgia for when Spielberg movies were exciting. I think so. I think that was the, <laughs> the implication. <laughs> yeah, like, you'd, you'd think of all the directors in the world, one of the ones who would have the film literacy... Uh, one of the ones who would have the film literacy necessary to not have a super shallow understanding of something like The Shining. It would be Steven Spielberg. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Real sometimes, sometimes a director is only as good as a writer, I suppose, or, or the source yeah. material. So maybe maybe, yeah. maybe it doesn't all fall on his hands. But Christopher Sakenga says, I cannot begin to list my concerns in less than uh, 3,500 words. The characters in the book, internet nerds. In, movie, in the movie, hot Hollywood stars. In the book, there was some nostalgia factor for an old person like me. In the film, it is 100% product placement. That's actually a fair criticism uh they are internet nerds in the book uh as i understand it uh both artemis and parsival in the novel are like a little overweight they're not particularly good looking uh and in the movie they are hot topic models um hot i I don't think hot (laughs) they are they're definitely uh they're definitely hollywood homely um and anita kind of hit upon the nostalgia factor for an old person like Christopher thing when she was talking to me about it in the book, there were large passages where she actually had fun catching the references. And I think that that might be because when you're reading it, you have time to actually like digest what you're looking at. Whereas in the movie, everything's so crammed into every shot and it's blinking. You'll miss it references everywhere that, you can't you can't actually enjoy the nostalgia because it's just yeah. it's happening so fast and it's and it's so meaningless and and uh vapid that it just flies by yeah there's a moment where um um serenity shows up from firefly and it's like it was like one of the few times where i actually like noticed something like the, the, that's happening all in that big climactic battle. And like, there's yeah. so many, there was, there was a ton of, um, you know, little references and I, and, and my brain understood that that's what it was going on, but I couldn't, I couldn't parse any of them really. Yeah. It'd be fun to kind of, kind of slow it down. I, I think if I enjoyed the movie more, I think, uh, like going through a second or third pass, just like picking out all the little things would be fun. But because I didn't, I'm not willing to do that at all. There's also uh, something to be said about the product placement, because I'm fairly confident in the book where the nostalgia is firmly rooted in Halliday's love of all things 80s. Probably there weren't references to Minecraft and Overwatch and Halo. Though I do think some of that you can chalk up to the fact that like the the getting the uh, copyrights and things and permissions for this movie is way harder than it was for the book. Um, So that definitely like their pool of references to draw from 
was not quite a hundred percent of all pop culture things ever made. Uh, so a little, little bit of uh, understanding in that regard um, that they couldn't yeah, necessarily. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't bother me that, um, that there weren't enough references. Um, yeah. You know, I, I get how things work. It's, it's sort of the same thing when you're, when we're watching like something like Wreck-It Ralph or something like that, like whatever, whatever references and, and like things that they managed to sprinkle in there for fun. Yeah, it's good. You know, it doesn't, you know, I'm not sitting there going like, why don't they talk about Star Wars or something like that? Well, there's two things, actually. First of all, we, we've brought up Roger Rabbit and Wreck-It Ralph and the Lego Batman movie uh, yeah. previously. And they actually do this better. And part of the reason for that is because the characters in those are the characters. They're not people cosplaying as the characters. And because of that, they have a little more depth. And certainly in the case of uh, Roger Rabbit and Wreck-It Ralph, the licensed characters who appear in the in the story help ground the story. Like, they're part of the setting, and they're helping you get immersed in that reality. Mm-hmm. And in Lego Batman movie, they're actual characters. Like, they serve... Lord Lego Lord Voldemort serves the plot. Um, yeah. And so it makes sense that he's there. And here it's just... Oh, there's Chun Li because why not? And yeah, oh, there's the it, Firefly, but it could have been any starship. Like it could have it, been the Enterprise. Like it doesn't yeah, matter. It's, it's much more in, enjoyable to to see the your you know the characters interact to, uh, with one another. You know, it's like like in the case of Roger Rabbit, you you saw Disney characters and and uh, Warner Brothers characters, you know, on screen at the same time, and that you know, and they were you know sort of interacting, and that was kind of really a really novel thing at the time, right? Um, in Wreck-It Ralph, there's, there's a scene where, is it, is it, um, Zangief shows up and, yeah. and he has like a moment, I think it's in like a self-help sort of setting, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah. It's like a uh, group therapy. Yeah. And then like, and like, you don't really know like what Zangief's character is, but it's fun to see someone imagine what it might be. Cause he's yeah. kind of a dumb video care, video game character. So that, yeah. that is definitely fun. But like, again, like, yeah, just, just seeing it doesn't really do that much yeah yeah i i conceded i for years i actually really criticized wreck it ralph because i was like i was promised a movie full of video game references and i got 20 minutes of video game references and then a movie about Candyland, and i was real <laughs> pissed about it for a year and then i got this movie and i'm like oh you know what maybe i don't want an hour and a half of video game references uh, yeah. so uh, <laughs> i i apologize it turns, out it, turns out it ends up being fairly vapid in the long run yeah so. Yeah. The yeah. the other thing that this actually brings up is because you were talking about licensing stuff like Overwatch and Halo and Minecraft uh, for this movie because it's what you can get your hands on. But at the same time, I can't help but feel that that was deliberate marketing aimed at teenagers. But were they really were they really the target audience for this movie? Because I feel like we are the target audience for this movie and I... we don't care about Minecraft. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's hard to tell which which moments in this movie are product placement and which ones are like references they chose to draw on. I think it's it's almost yeah. too fine a line to to notice or or even um, fret about. I I think uh, we had said in the previous draft of this half of the podcast yeah. that the movie was targeted at us, but fifteen years ago, and yeah, exactly. that's why it kind of missed the mark here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Levi Breederland says, uh, like so many book to film adaptations, things just don't match up with my mental picture of the story, both visually and otherwise. This one was more off than most adaptations. Fair enough. They had to make a lot of changes to adapt it to a, a visual medium. And that's always the case in a book to a movie adaptation. But in this case, in particular, a lot of the references were, were like, name drops and things sprinkled in and yeah. they really had to change that. The The only movie that I can think of um, that really captured what was in my mind's eye when I was reading the novel was the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I remember watching the fellowship of the ring and thinking like, yeah, this is, this is kind of what I imagined for the most part. Yeah, but uh, that's that comes from a director and a production uh, design team who were pedantic. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean that, and I mean that as a huge compliment in that case. Yeah, he was he was slavish to to the the book. And the other thing too is, I think it, it, it it's helpful that Tolkien wrote the way that he did. Uh, he spared no detail on anything. Yeah. So yeah, like they true. had, you know, they literally had pages and pages of notes of like how to build their sets and how and and, and what the uh, what the vistas looked like. So there's and, yeah, there and was, what people were dressed like and uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, like there's like most books aren't really written that way, you know. And like um, uh, if I think of something like um, Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, like he, you know, he doesn't spend a lot of time describing visually much of anything at all like that that story clips along so quickly in that book uh herman fellow apn member from the modern manhood says uh, the book was good when i first read it and then i read it uh it, it again and i don't know why i liked it it really sucked uh, the trailer of the movie was uh, better than the movie itself i uh, it was forgettable i honestly forgot what happened in it I yeah, feel the same I, way, Herman, because I, I watched it four days ago and I've already forgotten most of the characters' names. Yeah, we were just, yep. <laughs> that's that's perfectly fair. It it is such a uh, it is such a shallow popcorn feature that it really there's not there's nothing there to stick with you. Like I watched Knives Out months ago, and I still vividly remember that movie, and mm-hmm. yet. I can barely remember what happened in Ready Player One, and we watched it yeah. last week. Yeah, the the, the movies, um, the movies that you're thinking about in the shower the next day, those are the those are good movies. You know what I mean? Like the Agreed. ones that like you just you just can't help but continue to process them. Those mm-hmm. are those are the movies that uh, that are really that that are, that you know are your kind of your favorite movies. Yeah, it's done its job. Yeah. Matthew D. Jameson says, uh, I say this a lot, but the book exceeded this movie in so many ways. The book captured the spirit of video games and the 80s in general way more than the movie. Also, I didn't like the look of the avatars. Pars in particular looked dumb. Uh, It had some good comedic moments, but didn't need a car chase to appeal to the general public, did it? Uh, The quests in the book made a lot more sense. And fantastic story, badly executed movie. Yeah, I'd... uh, I'd, uh... Uh, mostly agree to that. I, I don't know that the car chase in the in the real world was necessarily any kind of pandering, um, but yeah, I don't know if it was. It was fine. It, it added some extra tension, I think, to the the conclusion. I really like the the sequence where uh, Pars was trying to put the last key 
in the keyhole and because the car was being chased he was moving around in the real world and in the digital world he couldn't get the key in um and and his feed was being broadcast to the masses so the joke was that the masses couldn't understand why he couldn't just put a simple key in a keyhole <laughs> and i thought that that was really funny yeah uh, can, can i we need to stop for a moment to talk about the best mm-hmm. character in this movie because the best oh, yes. character, the best <laughs> character in this movie, is actually the smart girl from the think tank working at IOI. The one who says we need to play adventure, and then gets shut down by her boss when the guy wins adventure and loses, uh, and then gets proven right when it turns out they they needed to go for the Easter egg not to win the game. She has the best character arc in this movie because she. Uh, she figures out the solution to the problem. Like she ultimately solves the the third key before the heroes even do. Um, she gets shut down, probably slightly by misogyny, might I add, and then builds herself back up and is proven right, has her moment of triumph. She even has a little love story because when they find the Easter egg, she totally kisses the guy who she clearly respected, but who had shut her down originally and now now had earned esteem for her because mm-hmm. she was proven right. She is the best character in this movie. She it's has nice the best arc. she has the best yeah. story in this movie and I want to see the movie about her. <laughs> yeah. What is Pars's uh arc really? Learning yeah. to be a team player, fall, falling in love with a woman in one day. Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. Like, I don't get the sense, like, because he's, he's always, you know, he, he he's had friends and he's the one who wants to team up with Artemis immediately. So it's not it's not like he's not a team player. Right. He's yeah, he, he was he was willing to share everything with her right away. It was it was his buddies who were like, hey, you shouldn't share that information. So. I don't know. Like he doesn't. I don't know if he, he doesn't has have much of a change. He doesn't have much of it. Yeah, if you think about the hero's journey, he doesn't really. There's, there's no nothing, nothing for him to overcome. I don't think. I mean, aside no death, from yeah, right? aside like, from winning no... the challenges, which which he seems to be sort of predestined to do. Yeah, like he slumdog millionaires his way through the book, as I understand it. Uh, in that. Every challenge is something that he just happens to have already spent 10,000 hours mastering. Like, oh, of course, I know how to beat every level on Pac-Man with ease. Oh, of course, I know how to recite Monty Python and the Holy Grail from memory. It's easy for me. This is all a snap. The only obstacles to him in the book are IOI. (laughs) Um, The Easter egg hunt itself is, is a cinch for him. And, uh, I like that at least in the, in the movie and, they they make it a little more difficult for him. And I think in our version of the movie in particular, it would be even more difficult for him on top of that. He would need the team to help yeah. him to achieve. Nathan Martin says, uh, this wasn't really a bad movie. It's just a movie that feels like everything was played safe. Nothing in front of the characters seemed really that challenging. A popcorn nostalgia flick. Of course, The Rock wasn't in it, which would have made it much better. But The Rock was in the Fast and the Furious franchise, and Vin Diesel was the voice of the Iron Giant. So there you go. Uh, yeah, like we said, it's there's not much of a challenge for the most of the main characters. Uh, it's more of a series of uh, hoops uh, based on things that we like and recognize. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we also oh, have a great comment oh, from he, Date. Do you want Nathan actually does Martin? add. Yeah, he yeah, he does. 
that yes, I swear to does. God he, I've been he doing He threatens this. us with physical violence, uh, <laughs> even though we did the Scorpion King two months ago. What? Uh, <laughs> I know he says uh, I swear to God I've been doing this rock a bit since like episode two and if you guys do a movie with the rock and I'm not involved there's gonna be problems painful painful problems yeah not only did we do the Scorpion King we did fast eight I'm -hmm. pretty sure the rock is in that too so yeah how are you gonna make good on those painful painful problems Nathan when uh, uh, social distancing you're not allowed near us yeah and I believe it was Deja who uh, recommended we do this movie Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, question mark, uh, Deja. Ready Player One is the perfect representation of everything that is wrong with the movies today. It is the most soulless, corporate, cynical attempt to cash in on the empty-headed fanboy nostalgia bomb trend that has taken over pop culture. It substitutes coherent plot beats and interesting action with nonstop frenzy of wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Do you remember the uh, the Akira uh, motorcycle, don't you? Do you remember the Duke Nukem, uh, don't you, when Master Chief's assault rival? Uh, I don't even understand what this movie is. Uh, who this movie is for? I mean, I probably would have loved something like this when I was twelve years old. But all of the pop culture references are largely targeted at forty-year-old white male nerds. I think that's sort of the, the response we had we had come to. Yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah, meant no, this for is, us twelve years too late. Yeah, no, we are responsible for this, as we did mention <laughs> at the top of the episode. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the demo for this movie is meant to be emotionally stunted middle-aged white dudes. Well, I mean, maybe you know, <laughs> uh, who don't care about whether or not something is actually good as long as it pours boring, nostalgia-laden buckets full of oh my god, bigfoot monster truck into their eyeballs. Um, we might not read the whole thing here, but uh, just uh, on the plus side, uh, I guess we should be thankful they didn't directly transcribe from the book uh, for some of the more more eye-rollingly boring passages of the book. From what I remember, there was insanely long sections where the author literally just listed out pop culture references. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess that, to, that that is a credit that they don't have to serve them up one of the time, one at a time in the movie. They can just put them all in the, in the screen at once and let you <laughs> pick out your favorites. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. He, he adds, you can practically see Ernest Klein pausing and mugging at the reader after every item on the lists, on these just pages and pages of lists, where he's just like, hey, remember the Go-Go's? Am I right? Huh? Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I don't know this, this author, but I, like, that sounds like a painful way to write. You know what I mean? Just like you're, yeah. you're come, you're, you've got your, you've got your plot, your, your plot, and then you've, and then you're like, okay, now, now, what, what do, what reference does do I have to pepper into this, this particular part of the plot, and and what have I haven't I mentioned already? You know that kind of thing. Like yeah. it would just be, it just seems like it might be a little bit of a nightmare. I could I could say from personal experience, if you want to flex on people all of your bullshit pop culture knowledge, don't write a book where you list it off around the frame of a thing. Just host your own trivia night. Uh, it's really <laughs> yeah. If you want to feel like a smartass, just write and host a trivia contest, and you will feel like you're the most clever little boy. Uh, so that's my tip to Ernest Klein is to take up trivia writing. But I think we did a pretty good job on this. Yeah, yeah. trying to fix it up. Uh, excellent. I'm very excited for uh, the next film uh, we, we plan to do, which we'll mention as we uh, bring it on home here. Yeah. Uh, so again, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at I Have Some Notes. You can find our podcast feed at IHaveSomeNotes.com. If you like the show, please, considering, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help us out. You can also find our episodes on the CKUA radio app. Download it from the Apple App Store. Uh, remember to check out all of our sibling podcasts over on the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. 
We post new episodes every week because we've got nowhere to be. Uh, so <laughs> tune in uh, one week from now for The Quick and the Dead. Yeah, pow pow. I'm excited. Sam Raimi. Ex- Our first to Western movie too, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. our second Sam Raimi movie. Yeah, uh, we've been we've been talking about maybe doing some sort of Netflix party watch along with this as well. So maybe keep an eye on our Twitter yeah. and or Facebooks. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll see if we can come to a conclusion on when we want to when we want to have a watch party for it, and uh, we'll uh, we'll let you know on the social medias when we might be doing that, and we'll uh, we'll see if we can open up our Discord channel and, uh, and let everybody come in and, and share in the fun. Uh, but until then, uh, thank you everyone for, for listening. Of course, I hope you're uh, safe and far away from people you don't need to be near. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for listening. My name has been Liam Kreslick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. And don't zero out. Edmonton is full of passionate people dedicated to building a vibrant community. The Well-Endowed Podcast explores the impact that these municipal champions are having on our city. You can find episodes at thewellendowedpodcast.com.